are listening to Setting History Straight with Linda Watson on Hebrew Nation Radio. Okay, hello everyone. And I have on with us Adam Wicker. Uh, he and I have been talking quite a bit. And and uh, I think the presentation that he's going to give tonight is just astounding. So I'm, you know, I'm going to turn it over to you, Adams. Linda, and I appreciate you giving me the opportunity and the, and the voice to, and platform to speak speak about this stuff. So what I do want to uh, just kind of preface is that uh, this presentation, I'd like to just give a foundation uh, of what precedent does the scripture give us for these kinds of signs? I know you've talked about it a great deal in the last few uh, lessons that you've done on Haggai. And so I'm not going to go over the, those things. I'm going to try to cover some new material and new new information. And then I'm also going to dig a little bit deeper into uh, some things that we had mentioned in the last one, that you had mentioned in the last one, Haggai, about the sign of Jonah. So what I've found with a lot of... Um, a lot of Protestant believers, they don't really have any understanding or context around the idea of, of signs being used in the sky. And, and honestly, they don't know that a lot of people don't know the difference between astrology and astronomy or that God even uses these things. So the intent of this, um, I do just want to lay that foundation with scripture about, hey, this is where the Bible uh, goes on record about signs being used in the end times. And then I want to present perhaps what it could mean, the ones that are coming up. And then hopefully we'll see uh, a part two or maybe a part three even because um, there's just so much here. I mean, I, to be totally honest, there's probably dozens upon dozens of scriptures uh, relevant to these signs that are coming up uh, in America. And so, all right. So I want to build. I want to build the case for does the father even use signs and where can we see that uh, in scripture? And so right off the right off the bat, when we look at Genesis one, starting in verse 14, he lays down the reason for using these these celestial lights in the sky, the sun, the moon, and the stars, that he used them for signs and for seasons and days and years. And so we're obviously just focusing on this first one here with the signs. And nobody seems to notice that. <laughs> it's, right. it's, it's so basic. It says you know, hey, I'm going to use them for signs. I'm going to use them for seasons. I'm, you know, all these things to, for the days and the years for time, right? But right. He, he's just he just concentrates on that. He does use them for for messages in the sky. That's what he's using them for. Right, exactly. And we're going to look here in just a minute at the Hebrew word there for it. And I think you're going to find it interesting. Uh, what I found here. Here's another example uh, in the context of the end times in Revelation, and I know we, you've taught on this, uh, and, and many others have too as well, that, hey, this sign um, has actually already occurred, and this happened in 2017. I think it was uh, September of 2017 around the fall feast. So I'm just showing this as an example, uh, just trying to give some witnesses in Scripture where God actually says, I'm going to communicate some kind of message to you using the sun, the moon, and the stars. So in the very beginning, the very first book, he says, I'm going to use it for signs. And in the very last book, we see an example here where he does just that. And that particular, and we all know that particular sign was vertigo. And that happened yeah. September 23rd, 2017. Correct. And that was just a month after that came on the heels of our total solar eclipse, which was in August of that same year. 
you know, August 21st. Right. Okay. Uh, here's another one. Now, I use the New American Bible here because they actually use the word eclipse in the in the translation, but other translations will say it was covered, obscured, something to that effect. But I just wanted to give a, a, a call out here that this was uh, when Messiah was on the crucifix, that there was a sign that occurred then as well. And so it's something to, to think about. Uh, just just an, another example here where, where God uh, spoke to his people to tell them something uh, as that this was a significant event that was happening. And then also, he actually says in the context, again, uh, I think it's partly making reference to Revelation 12, but also there's, there's going to be other signs that come in the future as well. But again, he says right here, he doubles down on it, that there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. So uh, I know I'm being redundant here, but the whole point of this is to just to really get the point across that these are, th- th- this is not witchcraft, it's not astrology. Uh, to look up at the sky and see uh, what is God trying to tell us with it. So I'm going to try to help unpack, you know, from a foundational point of view, what is it that these total solar eclipses could mean? There's a few other examples I've got here in this PowerPoint. There's many more than just that. These were just kind of uh, noteworthy examples. Okay. So I I want to look at the Hebrew word here uh, for signs in Genesis 1, where it said he used it for signs. The word is, it, it looks like it says oped. But as it turns out, <laughs> I thought this was interesting. The way you pronounce it is oath. And I find, I find that extremely interesting uh, because of the, the, the similarities that that word, the Hebrew word oath has with the English word oath. I have to imagine that uh, the English word was inspired by that, that Hebrew word. So when we look at the word itself in Hebrew, H226, it's in the sense of appearing. It's a signal, an omen, a banner, uh, a miraculous sign, a warning, token, ensign, standard, miracle proof. These are all part of the official Strong's Concordance, uh, the meaning of the word itself, how it's used in the scriptures. This is what it means. And one of them that's kind of interesting, I've got a few of them that are highlighted here in red that I thought were uh, stood out to me, but they all kind of stand out. But the one where it says banner. You know, when you did the video with uh, the last two videos showing those total solar eclipses, that's exactly how it's presented to us when we, you know, we go online and look up the total solar eclipse. They show a banner, like a a strip for the path of totality. I think it's kind of interesting. That's that's what comes to mind for me when I think of that. I couldn't help but notice the word omen because, you know, that's really telling you that, you know, this is a warning. This is truly a warning that. And it's and it's a message. That's right. That's right. And and that's the other thing too that um, and that's one of the points I wanted to make in this in this uh, presentation is I've actually presented this to other people, um, and that was one of the pushbacks. Well, how do you know that it's a bad sign? And so that's what I want to unpack here in just a minute. Now, the English word oath, there is some similarities to it. So a distinguishing mark is how it's used in one way, at least. Over there on the on the left, you see for the Strong's, the Hebrew word, oath. But in the English word, it says a solemn promise, often invoking a divine witness. And I think that's interesting because the sun and the moon and the stars are all uh, counted as witnesses. Yes. Uh, to your point, you know, they're, they're actually declaring the times and, and the things that are coming. You know, the times to observe as holy days, or it's it's also being a witness to 
what we're just talking about here, an omen or a warning. I think it's interesting that we, one of the definitions of oath is it's, it's a, a promise invoking a divine witness. And I thought it was interesting. It said regarding one's future action or behavior. So it's actually in the context of something that's going to happen. <laughs> so you just, you know, and you look at it like, wait, when you put these two words together, you use the oath in the Hebrew and you, it's, it's not an either or. It seems like it's almost a both end. You know, like the, these, these two different definitions for the same word, it's spelled differently, but pronounced the same. They go, they go well together. I mean, it's almost like they're they're both trying to give a more robust picture of what what he means when he says a sign. And if you remember, I don't have it up here, but he does say that keeping his Sabbaths and observing his days is a sign uh, between him and his and, and, and Israel and Jacob. Yes, it's 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 that it's an actual bond. It's more of a, a token. I think yes, mm-hmm. and that is, if you look down there, that's one way that it's used down. If you look at the bottom, uh, number two, uh, token is one of the ways it's used. Ensign as well, and I want us to really uh, make note of that word ensign because we're going to come back to it in a minute. Okay, so let's move on to, so a divine witness corresponds to evidence, sign, token, proof, prodigy. These are These words are all synonymous. But their definitions for the English and the Hebrew, thats I guess that was my point, is that when you look at the definitions and how this word's used in both languages, they're actually synonymous with each other. Interesting, because I see that you have the last definition is a wander, which is what his mm-hmm. people are called, the believers are called in Isaiah chapter 29. He calls them a wander. He calls them a sign yes. and a wander. And so we are to be signs and wonders. We're going to be those signs and wonders. Everybody thought, well, that word means miracles, right? And that's what they said. Oh, look, there's going to be signs and wonders at the end time. Well, that means that there's going to be miracles. Well, yes, there's probably going to be miracles too. But he's really defining his people as the signs and the wonders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think so too. And I think he's going to pour out his spirit in a way that we've not seen, uh, at least up to this point. And we're going to do, well, I mean, I think scripture talks about it, actually, that we're yeah, to your point, we're going to be the ones uh, shining the light uh, to to the rest of the nations, and it's going to be in a miraculous way. You're really going to like what I have to say next. Is like, you, so these two the, camp out on the two words in the middle uh, of that G forty five ninety two wonder. It says prodigy and portent. Okay, well I added two little. I want to talk about those real quick. Prodigy, an amazing or unusual thing especially one out of the ordinary course of nature. It's a perfect description or definition of a total solar eclipse. The total solar eclipses are rare, and they come at any time. There's no schedule for them. Yes, it's out of the ordinary course of nature. That's exactly right, Linda. That's spot on. Now, look at this. Portent. I thought this one was even better. A sign or warning that something, especially something momentous or calamitous, is likely to happen. <laughs> uh, so this is the, the this G forty five ninety two is the one that was used in Revelation uh, twelve one and two. They saw a wonder in heaven, uh, and again that happened twenty seventeen. As we've we've talked about, you know, ad nauseum and other other places, I'm sure, and. It's amazing because this right here is is exactly what I'm going to be uh, positing that America has in front of it. it. It's both of these. It's momentous and, and most certainly calamitous. 
Okay. So this will be a pretty short and sweet uh, uh, slide here. Uh, you know, people ask, well, how do you know what it means? Well, let's use scripture to define that. And it just it just so happens to be that there are a couple of scriptures that give shed light on what the sun and the moon might represent. So in a total solar eclipse, those are your two, that, that are your key players. I don't really guess the stars play a whole lot in it because it, it happens during the daytime and you really can't see the stars anyways um, during that time. So the sun and the moon are the, the two key witnesses at play here on this solar eclipses when we do get them. So right here in Psalm 19, one through five, and I, I went ahead and put the full, you know, the, the first five verses, mainly just to make sure people know that I, I wasn't taking this out of context, right? This is, this is describing what, uh, what these, the sun, moon, and stars do, the heavens, what they do um, in terms of their role they play. And it describes the sun as being the bridegroom. And so it says, day and a day utter speech, and night into night sheweth knowledge. There, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. So it actually likens them to a voice, and it says they have speech, and that they, they, they also offer knowledge. And I can, I'm going to make the case that it does all those things spectacularly, for, uh, in particular to America. And we're going to dig into that in a little bit. But, so you have the sun that it says it's a bridegroom. Great. So who, who might that represent? You know, we, we've always, there's tons of New Testament uh, red letter uh, uh, parables where Messiah is being compared to the bridegroom. And Paul does, he does this as well. Okay. Well, right here's the moon. Uh, I just gave one example of East. There are more. Um, but, and so the, these verses the, at the beginning of Song of Solomon, or, or it's up through, I don't know, it might be, starting in verse three, four or five, somewhere around there, all the way through 10 is the husband speaking to the wife or the man speaking to the woman. So I just, so anyways, he refers to him as my dumb, my perfect one uh, is the only one, the only one of her mother, uh, pure to her who bore her. And it goes on, you know, describing this beautiful woman. It says she's beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners. So, and it, what's interesting is I'm not going to get into it, but I actually think when it says she's beautiful as the moon, but bright as the sun, there's actually a prophecy in Isaiah that talks about this, how the bride of, of Messiah will shine. It says the moon will shine as, uh, as bright as the sun. Yes. And I, I'm quite certain that's make that's prophetic, spiritual prophetic utterance about the, the people of God, Israel will at, in that day, they will be walking as Christ walked. While he was here, I mean that's that's what I believe it is. But uh, they're going to be very dominant at at that point in time. They they they're teaching. They're going to be allowed to teach because they've been dumb all this time. So now I I'll tell you I, what I see here, and and I've just finished teaching this. Actually, the sun and the moon come in conjunction with one another, which is a union, which is the same thing as the the husband and the and the bride having a union which is a relationship and mm. so what the father is saying to us is that every time we see a, an eclipse he's saying to us i want to be in a relationship with my people that's what he's mm. really saying i want to mm. be in a relationship with my people and so that's some of the meaning behind the you know the eclipses 
you know, because they do come into a union and that union is a relationship. And the father wants a relationship with his people. That's what he wants. He's telling you, yep. this is what I desire. This is what I want. This is, I'm writing it in the sky for you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I would, I, I would agree with you that he wants to be uh, in a union with us. I do think, and we're going to talk about it here in a minute, is I, I don't think it's a particularly good thing. or There's not a, there's not a good precedent um, or a positive precedent set in Scripture about the idea of the bride covering the glory <laughs> of, of the bridegroom. Because uh, that is what's happening there, right? The, the moon is coming in front of the sun and it's blocking out its, its light. And um, so I, anyways, well, I want to look at that. I want to just, you know, let's just see what the scripture has to say about it. I know you've spoken on this. I'm going to give some more, a little bit of meat to the bones because I, I recently listened to your your Haggai teach on that, uh, teaching on that. So before I go there, though, I just want to bring up where is the sign of Jonah mentioned and Messiah is is talking to the, I think it was the Pharisees and the Sadducees he was making reference to. And he says, I'm going to read, start in verse four here. Um, well, first of all, I want to point out that he uses the same word here as the one we just read earlier, the, the wonder word, right? The 4592, same word. And he says, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no, uh, no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas or Jonah, and he left them and departed. So uh, what's interesting is um, I thought about this because he goes on explaining in other verses where he says, for the son of man will be in, you know, like, like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for th- or fish for three days and three nights. So, so also the son of man will go down into the earth for three days and three nights. And a lot of people assume that the sign of Jonah was when Messiah uh, died and then three days later was resurrected. And that definitely was a sign. However, by the strict definition of, of a sign uh, in terms of like the Genesis definition, I actually think that it wasn't necessarily referring to Jonah being in the what, Well, the, here's a question I have, Linda, about this. I, I don't know that it was making reference necessarily to just Jonah being swallowed by the whale, because to my understanding, Nineveh, they didn't know about the, the whale incident with Jonah, or at least they didn't witness it, right? Uh, they wouldn't have they known may, that. They may have because he was coughed up on the shore by that kid. Right, right. And so maybe maybe or maybe not. I mean, it, it is plausible that if someone else saw it, that definitely would have, that would have been news that would have spread. But I, will, I want to make a point here that I don't, I, there is, I don't think there's an account in the Scripture that actually says, beyond a shadow of a doubt that, you know, that was the key sign that, um, that Nineveh saw that, that nudged them in the right direction. But uh, share your thoughts on that if you have any, but so the, the reason I bring it up, uh, we're going to talk more about it. So uh, one other thing we have about Jonah that gives us an idea of the time that he was serving as prophet. It was during uh, Azariah, uh, King of Israel's reign. Now, it does kind of speak to him in in uh, in a good light here, but he really wasn't a good king. He did a lot of things he shouldn't have done, a mixed bag. But anyways, it, it tells us, it verifies for us that Jonah was the prophet during his reign. That, that's the point I want to make there with the Second Kings 14 reference. Now, 
as it turns out, so Azariah reigned from 786 to 746 BC. So I'm trying to just make a, a logical point here that this is a good time to expect uh, Jonah would have been operating as a prophet. We got the scripture here. It says he was a prophet for that king and that king. It's recorded in history that he reigned during that period. Nineveh experienced a total solar eclipse on June 15th, 763 BC, right smack in the middle of that reign of Azariah. So they, they gave it a name, Bursagali. I don't, I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it. I'm not really sure. They also got a partial solar eclipse, like a, would be something like an annular one, I guess, um, 28 years prior to that. But this one here was the significant one that I just wanted to point out is that this actually is in the annals of history that they got this so total solar eclipse. And there's also writings, and, and I'm citing the gentleman, uh, the Assyrian, what is he, an Assyrianologist, I think is what they call him. Um, a man who's dedicated his entire life to studying a uh, historian, to studying uh, the Assyrian empire and history. So uh, he actually uh, takes, uh, he, he does a lot of research on this and found it, found some documents where this is, this is the translation that they, they took, or this is what they understood would happen to them uh, if they didn't repent. And basically their king would be over, overthrown and their, uh, their land would be wrecked. One other thing I want to point out here, too, also in the Assyrian artifacts, I'm not going to try to pronounce that. That is the actual phrase um, in in that language, but it means Nineveh shall be made to repent. And indeed, they were made to repent. So these are actually things studied by historians that, that actually back up on the right side here, this kind of right side and all these, these four points. I mean, these are all what historians agree about. Nineveh and ancient Assyria, that they did have a total solar eclipse, and it is evident that it had some kind of impact on their understanding of what Jonah's message was. So I'm of the belief when we now, you kind of look at all to get, put it all together, Messiah talks about, the, you know, the wicked and perverse generation is going to get a sign, sign of Jonah. And in, uh, we saw, I think it was in Luke uh, earlier, that there's a reference to the sun being covered up at the time that Messiah was put on the cross, which is going to be the same time that he went down into the earth and he started his descent into the earth for three days and um and anyways and we see here that jonah there's a lot of there's a lot of history here that suggests that jonah also uh was operating on the heels of that total solar eclipse i'm not real sure it would be interesting uh, if we go back and look at the message of jonah when it happened and see if it's if it's before or after this event yeah I haven't, I'll admit I haven't done that much into it yet, but that would be the next logical thing to look into is to see if there's any kind of documentation in the scripture about what time of year all that happened and see if it kind of lines up with this or not. Okay. So I, 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 so far I've kind of just covered that there is a precedent for this stuff. It is in fact used for signs and, and unfortunately it's, it's omens a lot of times, not always, but uh, you know, the Revelation 12 sign, I think, was an indication of the time of the harvest. And, uh, you know, I think it was trying to tell us, hey, we're in that generation that's going to see a lot of this, this stuff go down. But the total solar eclipse, uh, the only precedent we have in Scripture for it is uh, Jonah um, when he told Nineveh to repent. And then, of course, uh, Messiah when he died on the cross. Uh, you know, there may be others that I can think of or I can go find. I haven't found them if you. If you know any of them, Linda, please 
let me know. But those are the only two that I I was able to to dig up, you know, for the study. Now I want to talk about Isaiah three through five, and I'm going to just briefly hit on the end of Isaiah five. And and Linda, if you have anything to add to this, please do. But my understanding of Isaiah three through five is it's a discussion about God bringing judgment to Judah and Jerusalem. Yes, yes, it is. And it it, it talks about it, it makes a description about about God's people in chapter three that really fits well with America today. But also it talks about the end result. There's going to be, uh, you know, it talks about a lot of, a lot of men are going to die in this process. And so in chapter four, it talks about him making his land beautiful again and removing the sinners from it and so on and so forth. And then of course, chapter five, which we're going to, we're going to look at the tail end of chapter five here because I'm, I'm quite sure this is making reference to a total solar eclipse. Chapter five goes into more detail about what exactly is going to happen and what can you look for to take place before, or, you know, before this event takes place. And so if we look at line by line, therefore, uh, starting in verse 25, therefore uh, is the anger of the Lord kindled against his people. And he has stretched forth his hand against them and has smitten them. And the hills did tremble, and their carts were torn in the midst of the streets. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Okay, but I, it's just so unbelievable because for a, for a long time I taught that when the when this thing starts, the father's just going to bear down and and uh and but he's not saying that at all. What he is saying here is that he's going to be angry. He's coming, and he's going to be angry with with what's going on in this land and only righteously. So, but he says, Mm -hmm. even though he's going to come in and destroy this land, he's still going to be having his ear to the people that are repenting. And he says, my hand is stretched out still. And, and I, you know, that's only a merciful father that would do this. You know, I mean, it's just to me, that's so amazing. So even to this point, the father will be looking, looking for people to repent, even during the process of taking this nation down. His hand is still stretched out to take care of the people if they repent. That's right. And in the Torah, it describes it describes the father as being full of mercy and loving kindness, long suffering, you know, and. And so this this fits well with what you're saying here fits well with that description of him, which a lot of people don't think that is the case. They think that he, you know, was not like that at all in the Old Testament, but they're just not reading carefully what uh, what he was doing and why he did it. But nonetheless, um, the thing I want to point out is obviously against his people. (laughs) So, you know, if anyone has any question as to whether or not he would do that to his own people, most definitely, it says very plainly right here against his people. So let's keep going. Next verse. And he will lift up an ensign to the nations from far. I just, so this right here is just getting super specific now. Uh, He used the word ensign. This was literally one of the definition or translated definitions of that word oath in the very beginning. Ensign is one of them. Uh, now, this is a different word from oath, 
But I, if you were to look at this word in comparison to oath, it's it's basically a more modern Hebrew word of the same thing. Like the definitions used to describe uh, this word ensign is some of them are identical. A banner, token. Um, I can't remember. There may be a few more that that overlap with the old uh, Genesis one uh, definition of the word oath. And then, of course, it says to it's going to he's going to lift up something. So it's going to be lifted up, some kind of sign or token, to the nations. But where? From far. Yeah. And I know you've done extensive. Uh, you've built. You know, I've, I've watched them all. You know about America being the far country. America as the far country. That I think it's the title of one of your videos. And you go. You spend forty five minutes an hour or whatever. You know, showing that. And so this right here most definitely is saying there is going to be some kind of token that's lifted up. So it's up high, something you look up to. It's going to be broadcast to the nations, and it's going to come from a place from far. And then, of course, it says what will happen right after that. And will hiss unto them from the end of the earth, and behold, they shall come with speed swiftly. It's actually the the clock is going to finish counting uh, that seven-year period right as we enter into the November timeframe of next year. The next verse, none shall be weary nor stumble among them. Shall they will sleep. Neither shall uh, the girdle of their loins be loose, nor lash their shoes be broken. And it talks about their arrows being sharp. I, let me just comment on this real quick. Um, I was listening to uh, a retired Lieutenant Colonel. I forget the name off the top of my head. He's actually well known and he's a very, a very tempered uh, uh, has a very tempered mind and voice uh, in the military world. And he was actually, I was watching him do an interview and he was talking about Russia. And one of the things that made me think of this verse, he talks about Russia as having uh, that our government did some, some research uh, into their weapons and we were astounded. He specifically said how accurate their missiles were. They have extremely accurate Weaponry, and that was something he called out as unusually surprising. That their their weapons are far more accurate than ours, according to his assessment. And I just thought it was interesting because it talks about this this group of nations that are going to come. They're going to have arrows that are sharp, <laughs> you know. And and it also there's other verses that talk about um, that they they don't miss when they shoot, and and that they're going to be very precise on their. Uh, with their arrows and their weapons. And then the next verse says, they're roaring be like a lion, like young lions, uh, and talking about carrying them away. But then this last verse is the one that we got to really, we got to hang on to because it, it says, all, there's all kinds of doctrine be taught in this, is that in that day they shall roar against them like the roaring of the sea. And if one look unto the land, as in the Israel of God, the land, behold, darkness and sorrow. But we read up here that this ensign would come from far. And so, you know, you know where I'm going with that, I guess, Linda, is that people need to really pay attention to the fact that, uh, you know, America is most definitely uh, a land set aside for God's people. Uh, and it has been. And there's an expectation that we live righteously and shine that light. And we're not. So anyways, it says here, behold, darkness and sorrow and the light is darkened in the heavens thereof. So this right here is describing. Let me just break that down. The light, what, which which celestial body is full of light all the time? 
And that's that, you know, it basic it says right here that the light that's in the heavens is going to be darkened. And I can't think of a, a more succinct way to describe a total solar eclipse. That is exactly what it's describing. The light is darkened in the heavens. So, you know, that's the sun. It's Absolutely. Something gets in its way. And that's, that's right. That's what yep. happens with a, a, a uh, solar eclipse. And so, yeah, it, it's no doubt that, that the insignia that you're talking about is pointing to that on that same page. It's actually referencing that eclipse. Yep. So, so here is the de- the word here um, to, to answer that question, the word darkened. What does it mean? And so what's interesting is you have a dark moon, so the moon is not shining its light, but it's also covering up the sun, causing its light to be obscure. And that you actually get both definitions here. When you look at the actual word, the H2821 there, you see it's to be dark, withholding light, as in like a conjunction moon, a dark moon, right? It, it also it transitions like transitively. Like it's going to be something that's it's transitioning, it's moving, which is exactly what a solar eclipse is doing. And it darkens, it makes it makes the sun look as, as though it were black. It's dark, calls darkness, be dim, hide, to obscure, confuse, to hide, conceal. And you know what's amazing also with, with this is that it's it's so prophetic because I, I didn't put them, the scriptures in here, but you know them, you've referenced them, how... Israel, Jacob will not have a clue this is about to come upon him. He is in the dark about the things that are coming. And I see I, I see that this, this word in itself is not only telling us literally what to look for in the sky, but it's also prophetically talking about, uh, listen, God's people are not going to have a clue this is coming. They're never going to think this, this, uh, that, that God would exercise this option. And I think Lamentation says that, Lamentations 4.12. And there's another place I can't remember. Maybe you can recall it, Linda, that, that talks about how God's people are totally unaware of the developments against them. Yeah, because it says it comes on them suddenly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that means that they weren't expecting. So I'm going to go back one slide real quick. And I want to show just some other things that stood out to me. Um, when you go back and look at that verse there, it said, um, like it, they're going to roar against them like the roaring of the sea. It's just something that struck me as interesting, especially over here, but revelation 13, one and seven, I, I just did verse one and verse seven here. There's obviously a lot more there, but if you look at the beast of the sea that rises up, they go to war with the saints, and they overcome them. And then after that, you see a new government system, a beast of the earth, rise up uh, afterwards. And I know, Linda, you and I have been watching that closely. Revelation 13 would suggest that the first thing that's got to happen is it's going to be the fall of God's people. And then it will rise up, according to that. what that passage shows. I thought it was just interesting that it talks about the roaring of the sea. Messiah also talks about it in... Luke 21 and Matthew 24, he makes the same reference, uh, roaring of the seas. And, you know, the roaring of the seas is the roaring of the nations that come here to fight Israel. And so that's what that really is representing. But it could also be an actual psalming. I mean, the father. Yes, I I agree. Mm -hmm. He does things physically and he does things spiritually. 
Right. I would actually argue that the spiritual is what more or less manifests the physical things. And so, and I agree with you that um, it's a both and. And that's another conversation for another day um, has a lot to do with why I, I have an interest in, in getting to higher ground. Um, okay, so, so this is interesting because when it talks about the beast of the sea, that means mm-hmm. he comes from the Gentile nations. The Gentile yes. nations are the nations who primarily do not believe in the Messiah. That's why when they were told to go and fish for men, they would told them to go out and fit, get in the boat and fish for the fish in the sea because that's where the unconverted people are the the uh, the the Gentiles. That's the unbelievers. Yep. Okay, and so that's what it's referencing is re- it's referencing you know Gentile nations. Gentile just means they don't believe in the Messiah. In Correct the reference. That's what it means. And and so I I wanted to make that connection here is that it, isn't it interesting that it talks about the beast of the sea rising up and it's given authority and then the next thing you know it goes and fights with the saints it it overcomes the saints and then right after that that beast of the earth rises up and I I've been saying this the way I look at this is the conservative flyover Christian South has to be removed from the equation for our way of life and our ability to defend ourselves and the freedoms that we currently have, even though a lot of them have been stripped from us, is incompatible with what what everyone, uh, whether it's Babylon or the nations, what everyone else wants for this world, it's incompatible with our way of life. And and I could probably give you tons of uh, references to just, you know, various elites that, that actually make those comments and say that they're trying to figure out how to kind of dethrone us and get us out of the way so that they can do what they want to do. Um, and so really revelation 13, I think is a, a very practical how, you know, order of operation. How does it work? If the nations are going to come against God's people, they're going to take God's people out because it's going to be a form of judgment against God's people. It's the only reason that God allows it to happen. Um, what because he's looking at today and the, and they they believe that there's this new world order coming and that it's very liberal. It's a very liberal movement. And the people that are liberal think, oh, yeah, look, we got this made. We got this mm-hmm. made. This is mm-hmm. this is coming and we've got control. The way they don't realize is Psalms, the book of Psalms, because it says he laughs at their plan. Mm-hmm. So, Psalm that, two. Psalm chapter two, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Where he says, it is. I laugh at their plan. That's because right. Once he's going to take all of those people down plus their new world order, and he's doing his own reset. Isn't that correct? Mm-hmm. It is. It is. It's now, going to be his reset. You know, so I mean, and so he's going to allow the Gentile nations to come in and take down our nations so that we will learn a lesson and repent. And And this is all, this is the whole plan that he has here. And that's the Gentile nations. And and then he's, you know, because of the fact that they do this in such a brutal way, you know, he's going to do judgment on them, too. So they're not going to yep. get away with the things they get away with. But they're that's not right. pushing in a new world order either. They'll have a different, they'll have their own government, right? But it's not the new world order that everybody's looking at. 
that that's right. Everybody's looking at that. All the prophecies teachers are teaching that, and it's just not scriptural. Well, and and what it, I, I would even be more specific to say it. Call it whatever you want to call it. The one thing that's not part of it is the West. It's not. It, it's not. It's an you know what's going to be left of whatever it is they put together is going to be an Eastern idea. I, I'm quite sure of that. Right. I mean, they're, they're, to your point, the, the West and the Western civilizations and the Christian, uh, uh, you know, the, the foundational Christian ideals of the West are incompatible with what's what's coming. And, and to your point, people think that it's going to be a transformation where the West is what brings it in. No, that's that's the, this, there's going to be an ultimate betrayal here. And, and it. That's the the shame, and Babylon is going. Look, Babylon rides that beast, and that beast is going to buck her off. She's not part of this plan. And so, to your point, I don't know why people, uh, you know, people need to understand that that America and all who would defend the American way are 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 going to get wiped out. And, and uh, plain, because he tells you that the kings of the earth are the ones that burn her to the ground. And then in the mm-hmm. next chapter, after Revelation 17, it goes into Revelations 18. And the first thing he says, Babylon has fallen. So as soon yep. as they burn her to the ground and they're going to destroy, the CEOs and all of these liberals in this country are in the process of destroying this country. So when they get it completely destroyed, then Babylon will fall because these people that are, are the Gentile nations that don't, for the most part, they don't believe in the Messiah. There are some that do, but for the most part, the nations in the East do not believe in the Messiah, and they will come in here and they're going to set up their own government. That's right. So, one more thing I want to point out here, and I've got a lot more that I'll cover as it relates to unpacking and really driving it home that this is talking about America. What's coming to America, what, what these scriptures talk about is referring to America. And, that, and that's what I want to do uh, uh, with you, of course, Linda, if you'll, if you'll have me Absolutely. do this again, so, of course. And, you know, yeah. So, so I want to, I want to give people a fresh idea of uh, not just, well, we know what the history that you've covered about how America is fulfilling all, a lot of those prophecies um, over time. I want to hit on, I think what I want to come at is show people that when you look at the doctrine of Messiah, the, the various doctrines he taught, that America is the only land that's fulfilling those as the kingdom of heaven. It's the only land that's doing it. Uh, and, and and even if there's other lands that are doing it, America's doing it best, and it emanates from America, these these ideals, right? And I think that can help people because I want I want to appeal to the doctrine of Messiah, that's what I want to appeal to is appeal to his authority, not, you know, not just to my idea of things. Right. One you last know, point. I, I want to people who know Hebrew really well. And they say the they told me the word America means really means uh, the new kingdom of God. That's what it means. The kingdom wow. of God is, is the meaning of it. And so and these are people that are, that really know who Hebrew really well. They break the word down wow. and tell you how it. And what it means. <laughs> One wow. of them is Stephen Spikerman. He showed me that. And he's fluent in it. So look, Jeremiah 50 and, and really 50 and 51 are talking about the fall of Babylon. And 
what I want people to understand, what does this have to do with, you know, what we've been talking about in Isaiah 3 through 5? Well, Messiah says that his, the kingdom of heaven will be filled with wheat and tares, both. And that's the, that's the mystery of mystery Babylon is that people don't understand is that, I mean, it flat out says it in Revelation 18 that the blood of the saints and the prophets are in this place. If they're in it, that, like, that place that falls called Babylon, mystery Babylon, the harlot, that the blood of the prophets and the saints are inside it. Indicating that the people that died in Revelation 13 were in the same place, they're, they're in the same location with with mystery Babylon, the harlot that falls to your point that you made earlier. And, and I want people to understand that. So why am I bringing that up? Because, because what you'll find is that you can look at passages that talks about the judgment of God's people. Then you also can look at passages that talk about the judgment of Babylon. And I'm saying that these are one and the same. Uh, these are the same land. Uh, the difference is people that believe and repent and walk in the way and people that don't. And so uh, I want to make that point over the next, you know, maybe a couple of, um, a couple of lessons or parts to this same study, but I want to just give a little taste of it right here in Jeremiah 50, 41 through 43. It says, Behold, a people shall come from the north, and a great nation and many kings shall be raised up from the coast of the earth. So they shall from all over. Go ahead. Yeah, that's right. Many kings. And for people that, that want to say this is a, a, a discussion of the fall of Babylon of antiquity, I want to just highlight one obvious uh, glaring contradiction. If you think this passage in Jeremiah 50 is referring to that ancient Babylonian fall, you need to realize that Babylon of antiquity under Nebuchadnezzar or his son, Darius, it might have been, um, it fell to one king, king of Persia, Cyrus, and he came from the east. This example says many kings from the north. This is a different hemisphere is what he's talking about. you're, You're talking about China and Russia. That's who you're talking about. That's the two main players right there. And they're in the Arctic right now. <laughs> right now. Congress had a hearing a few months ago about it. Why are they in the Arctic? Like they're having this discussion. And, and um, you know, there, there's also now rumors. I don't know. You know, it's interesting. The Bible talks about rumors a little bit. But there is a rumor that China's now uh, down in Canada. Um so, I mean, they're moving in. They're coming. And I, that's what I want people to understand is, like, this is right around the corner. And you have this sign in the sky that's really uh, correlating with this. So it says here, their voice shall roar like the sea. So here you again, same language as what we read in Isaiah 5. Their voice shall roar like the sea. Because there's so many of them. Mm-hmm. And then it says down here at the bottom here, which I think really hits, hits home on another witness, it says, King of Babylon has heard the report of them, and his hands waxed feeble. Anguish took hold of him and pains as a woman in travail. And that woman in travail was the vertigo, uh, or not vertigo, Virgo, uh, excuse me, uh, in uh, Revelation 12, 1 and 2 that we saw in 2017. If you read the description in Revelation 12, um, and I actually had it as a reference earlier, it, it talks about her travailing in birth. And so here's another reference right here, as pains of a woman in travail, Anytime you see a woman in travail, just go ahead and look at that look at that body of scripture that it surrounds it and understand that it's making a reference to the time we're living in right now. Yeah, because it's 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 birth pains. She's gonna be having birth pains. That's why the sign in the heavens was there. 
She's given birth. She's going to give birth to a government. We've talked about that many times. She's going to give birth to a, a, a group of people, to to some to a nation of Israel that's going to be left, that's going to be repentant. That's who she's going to give birth to, and whoever else that repents, they all become. Part that's right. Well, that's right. I mean, what Messiah? If you use the doctrine of Messiah, what did he say? You must be born from above, born from heaven. You've got to be born again to enter the kingdom. And I, I think this is a very practical way to look at it is, yes, there's going to be a massive amount of people that are going to come into the faith moments before this, this pain comes. And I know that Joey's taught on it, Isaiah 66, 7 passage. that talks about that um, she actually gives birth before her pain comes. Her birth pain comes before she goes in travail, before she goes into labor. She gives, which references her her war that she has, the war that comes against her. That is her, that's her travail. That's her birth pain. That is it. But she's mm-hmm. going to get birth before then. People are going to start looking at this and waking up. Absolutely, and we're going to talk more about it in in the coming weeks. I have it's just so much, and I and I just. Um, but there's a lot more here, even on that subject, too. For more information about this broadcast, please visit our website at www.12tribehistory.com. That is the number 12 tribehistory.com or email us at lwatson44 at cox.net with any questions or comments.